Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writers' Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writers' Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up. You guys, I'm thrilled to have here personnel from Full Frontal uh, with Samantha B. I love this show so much. We love I you. I look forward to Aww. it every day. Every day. Every week. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, starting here with Ashley, to introduce yourselves on the microphones. Tell us what you do on the show. Um, and also where uh, we may have seen your name before, if at all. Uh, nowhere. Um, <laughs> I'm Ashley Nicole Black. I'm a writer and correspondent on the show. Um, before this, I worked at the Second City in Chicago, but this is my first television job. No way. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. That's a great way to come in. Yeah. Can't, can't complain. <laughs> Good. Well, I want to ask about Second City stuff, but moving on. Hello, I'm Alana Harkin, and uh, I'm uh, I'm a correspondent on the show as well, and I direct field segments for the show. Great. And I'm Mike Rubens, and I'm a correspondent on the show, and uh, and I'm also one of the field producers. And if you saw my name before, maybe it's because maybe you read one of my books. I, I write novels as well. Yeah. yeah. Tell us. Tell me the title of the some of these books. Um, it, the uh, my first book was called The Sheriff of Yernemir. Second book was called Sons of the Six One Three. The third book was uh, The Bad Decisions Playlist, and I have another book coming out on June thirteenth. I'm just going to bogart this. Do entire wow. Time. Take it. Uh, Love uh, it. Called Emily and the Spellstone. So if you've got like a uh, a kid who's between like eight and twelve and loves fun funny stories, please buy it. <laughs> Great, look for it. On and Mike, Amazon. your books are excellent. I've only Thank read you, one, Anna. the Bad Decisions Playlist, but Mike knows how much I loved it. Nice. We're not going to talk anymore. No, it's all right. Okay. That's it. That's all right. Thank you. We for might. The, the chance for I have some things I want to ask you. Okay. But in the meantime, uh, we'll start with this very uh, easy procedure question, <laughs> which is, how does this show come together? Uh, what does a typical week look like for you guys? Uh, you know, I think most months you're making at least three shows a month. Is that right? Yeah, often four. Sometimes yeah. four. Yeah, depending on when our 
very few hiatuses yeah, are. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys were saying before that like you just live in this and, and you rarely come up for air. We do, and we have a hiatus right now, and what's really funny is that if you go on social media, uh, the fans of the show are like, what are you, are you always on break? <laughs> do you ever work? We're, we only have eight weeks off, so we just have to <laughs> do it the whole year. Do you want me to live? <laughs> I, my kidneys are going to fail. I right. need a break. Yeah. You only do one show a week. How hard is that? <laughs> we understand at this point there's like seven news cycles in one day, yeah. so yeah. yeah, we tend to, like, if, we, if we're off for a week... 30 things happen. Absolutely. Um, well, the, and that really is, you know, the root of my question. Like, how do you keep up? Uh, that's more of a, I think that's, Ashley definitely has, a, that's harder mm-hmm. for Ashley being one of the writers. Right. And they write, you know, on this weekly basis for the show. And then Alana and I will produce field pieces that have sort of a different rhythm yeah. that we might be prepping for weeks and shooting and then editing. And so that f- we're sometimes saved because of that. But the same thing happens. We'll like do a field piece and then, facts on the ground will change and we'll have to re-edit, recut it, change it. But for, you know, for Ashley and, and the rest of the writers who are writing for the live part of the show. Yeah. So let's let's start by talking about that. Um, like, how does, it, how does the show start to come together uh, um, among the writers? Then we'll talk about pitching field pieces and producing yeah. those. So we shoot on Wednesday. So usually Thursday is the day we're kind of like slowly starting to figure out what the show is going to be. And it is this like weird waiting where you're because you know the second you decide as soon as you're like we're gonna talk about healthcare, like someone's gonna drop a bomb on something so you're like following the news and we have a lot of conversations as a group to kind of figure out what our take is as a group on any given Mm -hmm. thing um so thursday and friday we're usually working on those act twos which are a little bit less topical and Mm -hmm. where we can like do more of a deep dive on something and i'm curious to know and i apologize i'm going to interrupt you guys a bunch because i want to sort of dig. what are you going to do host the podcast (laughs) i would love to wind you all up and let you go but (laughs) there's some things i'm curious about um, those conversations about one, what to cover, and two, how to cover them. Uh, how do those start to take shape? Is it sort of a typical writers' room where it's just writers throwing ideas around? Is there is there a point of view to the show? There definitely is, but what's really nice too is that we're really allowed to follow our passion. So there will be times where I'm just like, I have a bug up about this, and and they're like, okay, great. And then two days later, I'm like, nope, still having feelings. And if you do that enough, sometimes you can get something mm-hmm. on the show. Obviously, there are things that happen where everyone's like, this is the thing. But a lot of times, it's just someone's individual passion. And we have a really, really amazing research team, mm-hmm. and they come up with stuff that like you have to be sifting so far deep into the news to come up with these weird stories they come up with and they'll present them to us and you know we find a lot of stories just from whoever is passionate in the office so then what is the job of the individual writer or the room become once the stories are sort of set uh yes decided upon so we pitch we chat Joe Miller, our showrunner, will pick something. And then everyone writes their own headline. Like, I write my headline as if I'm the only one who's going to write it. So Mm -hmm. I write my best seven-minute headline on the issues. Sometimes we have, like, bullet points that we know we want to hit. Sometimes not. So you're really just writing the best thing. And then, like, six other people are also doing that. We all turn them into our boss. So she gets, like, seven complete amazing pieces of writing to then pick the best piece from each one and then put together the headline. Oh, that's interesting. So you guys don't collaborate on that. We don't Part of it. do a lot of room writing. We do uh-huh. a rewrite after the script is sure. set, but um, I know a lot of shows room write. I think our show, it's like so detailed mm-hmm. that it's really hard to like write with that level of detail, yelling at each other in a room. Um, so we do a little bit of that beforehand and a little bit after, but we do our writing alone. Interesting. And, and has it, in your experience, has it been 
what are the challenges of sort of finding your way into one of these stories? Are you just do you, are you just given enough information that it's you just have to pick through it? For me, it's really emotional. So for a lot, I just like follow. I also come from an improv background, so I'm more used to having to immediately have a take on information because it's all improv. Is someone comes in and says something, and you have to immediately emotionally respond. So I try to start from there. Sometimes there are stories that I don't have an emotional response to and then I just do so much reading until I can find something mm. to get upset about or But in the office we just hear Ashley all the time just yelling yes yes <laughs> yes and, and yes and, and. Sure. I do it's, it's, I actually do I'm so happy we have always been working in cubicles when we go back we'll have offices because I really do improvise by myself in my cubicle and sometimes I'll like hide under the desk so no one can see me because I just have to like act it out That's Wow like, now yeah, that I know that, you're doing that <laughs> Is that performance aspect of it? Like, does, is that the way you translate to writing? Yeah, I mean, that's the way I was trained to do it because mm-hmm. I started as an improviser in Second City. Their thing is like taking improv to sketch. So I learned how to write on stage. Sure. And we have other writers who are like sit down, write type writers. I really admire that skill, but I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So this is the that's one I really have. Really funny. <laughs> Um, all right, so so we've got these sort of anchors of the show that, that the writers are putting together, and then we have the field pieces, which are sort of the other half of the show. Um, talk about those. How, where do they come from? How are they pitched? Every, everyone is constantly pitching stuff, sort of in general for the show, mm-hmm. and people will pitch stuff. So you know, there's a there's a uh, you know a, a pitch email. That's constantly throughout the day is just growing and growing and growing. And people are pitching ideas and they're adding to that and this and that. And sometimes the ideas are like, you know what, this is a, this is a studio piece. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes stuff will start as a studio piece and it'll be like, you know what, this is this is actually a field piece because people will be like, you know, I actually I know this person who did blah blah blah. So it, it kind of grows out um, is, that way. Is the shape of the pitch in those emails just sort of the idea like? Hey, how about something in this area, or is it more it well formed? It could be both. I mean, sometimes this, the pitch is extremely specific, and other times it's like, "Hey, this is an idea I have." And then, you know, some some people in our office are better editors. Some people are better like, "Here's the core idea." But the wonderful thing about the way that we pitch stories, um, if it's for studio or for field for the show, is that, as Mike said, like really anybody can pitch you know any anybody yeah. who's in the office including That's you know cool. who anyone who works at reception can yeah. pitch so it's it's very the idea can come from anywhere and that doesn't matter it's like we I, at the end of the day when we end up shooting somebody you can't even really remember who originally pitched it because mm-hmm. it's grown so much and then we take it into you know field meetings and then it is very i would say the field department is that we are constantly all working together to grow a piece together and then there will be a producer on the piece for sure but then as correspondents it's our job to kind of feel you know played out like okay how am i going to perform this mm-hmm. you know where's the story here what am i playing at yeah that and how, was kind of yeah, my question like, how do i find my way into the story yeah there's a storytelling aspect to those field pieces and i wonder if that fell to the bigger picture of the show whether it's the the showrunner or, or it's usually Sam, us, or if it's yeah the group, or does that come in editing? Which I imagine the correspondent. A lot of it grows. Well. It depends on the nature of the piece. Some mm-hmm. of the pieces tend to be more. You know exactly what you're, what you're going to get. You know, you it's more scripted than not. And some of them, man on the street stuff, mm-hmm. you know, is is really wide open. And you go in with a take, and you think you're going to get this stuff. And we've had this experience many times. We went to the the inauguration. We thought the whole thing was we thought everyone's going to be gloating. It's going to be out there gloating, and they weren't. Everyone was kind of like, huh, yeah, I guess we won. Yeah. And Don't that, be so sad, liberals. You'll be okay. Yeah, and they were also very like sweet. Yeah. very sweet about it, so it was a, a very different piece. So some of the pieces are very much, they happen in the edit suite. Mm-hmm. 
um, and some of the pieces are much more. You get what you get when you get there. Like, actually, yeah. you produced my very first, you were the field producer on my very first field piece oh, about vape vaping. Piece, yeah. And it was this crazy piece where, you know, we were in fetal position for two days afterwards because we ingested so much smoke. <laughs> but then Mike was like, you know, in a perfect world, like, listen, whatever, you know, you get up on the stage or whatever. I'm like, but, you know, it's crazy. Maybe you can't. I'm like, it was a vape convention. And uh-huh. It was a convention. I'm like, I'm getting on the stage <laughs> and that you know ended up being such a fun piece of that we didn't know but you don't know you're going to get it right someone yeah. could have kicked me off That's security could have booted me but um so you're finding that stuff on site in the moment um which is you know yeah, to yeah. ashley's point about being an improviser you kind of have to be like yeah. you get there and think okay this interview isn't going the way i thought it was we still, I still need to come out of this with material we can use, so what Absolutely. do I do now? Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the training that you guys have had. Uh, what has prepared you, whether it's work experience or, or you know, acting experience or comedy experience that trained you for these roles? Being a miserable person <laughs> years and years. Uh, come on. I was a Daily Show producer a long time mm-hmm. ago. So I, I, I mean, that seems like the mo- the most one to one ratio. Yeah, and so that was sort of the first professional comedy mm-hmm. thing that I did. So I certainly learned a lot there, um, and worked with Sam at that point. And, and what was it? Were you doing field pieces there? I was doing you? field pieces there. Okay. Um, how did they differ? How was that refined once you came to Full Frontal, or was it? it very much? We wanted to find a different way of doing field pieces. The Daily Show pieces, not not always, but there there's you know sort of a somewhat formulaic way that they're done. You know, it has a certain feel. It Mm -hmm. has a certain take. The show was developed in a certain way as news satire. And there was a desire, let's find a, let's find different ways of doing these. So, Also, we were freed from pretending to be on yes, the news, sure. which opens up so many. Pause, like right. We did that. Um, we did a parody of Mr. Robot. Like, yeah. It's a lot harder to do that if you're also pretending to be a news anchor. You know? right. like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, where, let me, let me uh, just sort of sidetrack here. That Mr. Robot thing. Do you recall how that took shape? That's a really good one to ask about because it literally took like exactly a year to get that to air. Wow. Like I realized um, that I had first pitched that uh, almost a year to the day wow. before it aired. That's wild. Um, but it starts. So I read a story about how the um, F- the FBI or DHS had accidentally surveilled a funk parade because they thought it was a Black Lives Matter rally and they thought Black Lives Matter might be terrorists. It was just like so many miscommunications <laughs> and that they had been su- they had surveilled a breast cancer walk because it was in a black neighborhood and they were just like putting all this work into surveilling like fun activities <laughs> because they thought black people were dangerous. Meanwhile, all these real terrorism is going on that that they missed um and there was one guy matt mitchell who we ended up interviewing in the piece who taught people how to like hide from the surveillance Mm -hmm. and someone had done a a podcast piece where they went to one of his parties and they interviewed this like 80 year old man who was learning how to like protect his computer and i just thought that that was like so fascinating and interesting um but there wasn't like a clear story there um and then after Trump got the nomination, people were starting to become organically starting. So my take originally on the piece a year before was like white people start getting scared. Like mm-hmm. they're already monitoring our funk parades. <laughs> they're coming for your farmer's markets next. Um, but that wasn't actually happening yet. And then so a year later, when it became possible that Trump was going to be president, people started actually worrying about their digital security. And then the story was really happening. Mm-hmm. And then I think um, our producer Raz had the idea to do it as Mr. 
Robot parody. I, at that point, had not seen Mr. Robot. So she was like, go home, watch every episode of Mr. Robot, and come back. Um, and that those two things of like the timing of what was actually going on in the world and her idea to do this lay on of a parody was like what made the piece come together. Oh, interesting. That's neat. Uh, was there resistance from anyone on layering that parody aspect on top of it? No, I think that was the thing that sold the piece. Interesting. Why do you think that is? Because I think one thing that's difficult when you're like talking about any specific community is like our audience is very broad. So to be like something is happening Mm -hmm. to this specific group of people, it's like kind of a harder sell. But then oh, it's a fun parody, you know, great, you know. So you just have to have like some hook that's going to excite people into the piece. And also, why not? Why not just make it look beautiful and different? (laughs) And that's the that's the wonderful thing about the field pieces. They can be little mini movies and little mini documentaries in themselves. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so we were talking about uh, the stuff you guys did before. Uh, let's let's go back to the, into that. So you were at uh, the Daily Show, uh, Mike. I, I was at the Daily Show. I left her for a few years and started writing books and mm-hmm. having a string of bad jobs, and then uh, <laughs> and then ended up bad at, jobs uh, in television. In sort of in sort of digital media. Okay. Uh, oh God, I'm going to get sued <laughs> now or something. Um, and and then uh, ended up eventually at Last Week Tonight for uh, mm-hmm. when they were launching that, and then. It, it turned out they really don't do a lot of field pieces. So after the first season, I left, and Sam was like, "Hey, I'm doing a show," and I was like, "Oh, yay!" And so, so that's how I ended up there. That's kind of a, a an odd thing, though. Were they intending early on to do field pieces? Oh yeah, no, there was definitely like there was this huh. whole there it was going to be a pretty big unit. There's going to be a lot of stuff, and then they quickly realized a John realized that you know I, I think he was like God, now I remember how hard these pieces are and there's so much travel and I have to do this thing and the other thing they didn't realize that oh my god we can do a 17 minute hmm. monologue about something and it can be fascinating and people will love it yeah and all of a sudden they were like this, that's what the show is the show and I think that was where that show needed to go I mm-hmm. think that was the right decision so. yeah it's interesting to hear though how they discovered that how they found the voice of the show yeah I mean I think all the way up to the and I think our, with our show as well or any show you're sort of like what what is this going to be well this was something I was going to get to I mean it felt like Full Frontal was so fully formed from the time it was on the air did, what, did that did it feel that way to you guys what was the lead time before going to air? There wasn't a lot of lead time at all, in fact. We all, most of us started in November 2015, or December 2015, and then we, our first show was on February 8th, 2016. So there was, like, development, of course, right. for, you know, about a year in advance of that, but in terms of the show, I think it was right away on our first show, Sam's voice was so clear. Her voice was just crystal clear that, you know, that was the show, mm-hmm. you know, there was no, there was no, you didn't have to, we didn't have to grow from that point because we, she knew the thing is that Sam was at the daily show, as you know, of course, and had a great love of the field department mm-hmm. because that's what she did. <laughs> and so field is extremely important to her. So there's no way that that would happen last week, tonight would happen on our show that mm-hmm. we would lose because that yeah. is an important element to her. She wants to get out and talk to people. She really wants us to do man on the street so that we can talk to people and find out what people are thinking. So 
and that really happened quickly. I mean, wouldn't you guys say that right away it was pretty clear what the show was? Yeah, I feel like also um, compared to experiences I've heard from friends on other shows, we spend a lot of time with Sam. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy to like mm-hmm. know what her point of view and her voice was because you could like have a drink with her and like find out what it was. Or I can pop in her office and be like, what do you think of this? She's not the mysterious presence. Yeah. You know? Let's right. be clear, though. You would have a drink and she would have a Perrier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that that was something I was curious about, about, like, if you showed up in those early weeks and you were given a target or if it sort of evolved uh, naturally. But it seems like it did just out of her personality. Well, Sam brought on a lot of people who knew her. Mm-hmm. So, like, her top team of people had all, a lot of them had worked with her on The Daily Show and um, I knew what her sensibility was. You and know, you worked her. with her for a long right. time. And I worked her for, work, I, just to kind of go back to your yeah. other question, is that I started my career, a wide, I had my MFA in theater because <laughs> I, I mean, thought I was no, going no, to be no, a Shakespearean no, no, no. actress. <laughs> um, and then I realized quickly that doing comedy actually gave me more of an opportunity to perform and to write shows. So I did sketch for years and years and years with, with Sam and uh, and then did the thing, you know, as you do. I, I lived in Canada, so, you mm-hmm. know, you get jobs and you audition. And as we were coming here, Ashley was pointing out some place that she used to jump into to, to change into her outfit for auditions. Oh, no, in my car on the street. Oh, in your oh, car. Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. Hold on an alley. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just like a shady spot. It was like, oh, there's a tree. I can <laughs> change clothes I, Yeah, I don't, you know, I can't even look back on those times as romantic. It was just like a, no. such a the grind of doing that. I mean, yeah, so... And and then you know worked as a writer and did the gigs that would come to me and um, did and the then, did yeah. writing come to you sort of hand in hand with performing like were you writing sketches for yourself to perform in for sure we we were called the Atomic Fireballs and we wrote one hour shows and we were so dumb though <laughs> God I wish I could you know go back in time because we used to spend an enormous amount of time writing these one hour shows we bring in outside directors to watch us we would like kill script you know scenes that were just like this is just not gonna you know we don't feel we don't feel it we're gonna let that one go and then we would do it once and now when I look back I'm like what is wrong with us like why didn't we do it because then but that was the challenge and then we would go and then we would write a whole yeah. other we would write a whole other show but we would of course that's the great thing about sketch right you can you know one of our sketches that would kill we would do we would do it in every second show or something mm-hmm. like that so but definitely and then I started playwriting um, because that was the next mm. that was the next playwriting got me to writing for other people mm-hmm. because I always wrote for myself and writing plays um, I thought I was writing for myself, and then I, when I, the first time it was produced, I'm like, I don't think I should be in this. I think someone, I, don't, I think that this is kind of, this has evolved, this is somebody else now, and I don't actually want to be in it. I want to sit back and listen. So that was great training because then I started, you know, writing television scripts for other people and, mm-hmm. and loved it. And then in terms of the directing, this is the first time I've ever, um, I've directed theater, but this is the first time I've ever directed for television and I absolutely love it. You know, why is that? Uh, because I feel like all of my training as being an actor and a writer has like, it's all, I understand all the different moving parts of it. Like mm-hmm. it's great to take a script from our writer's room and, you know, and then make it come alive and understand where they're, cause we all work so closely together, understand what they want from it and totally where it should go. And yeah, it's just sort of joyful sometimes to not, I mean, listen, I love performing 
for sure. But it's really kind of joyful to kind of have the outside eye and, and be able to see all the moving parts. And that's the great thing about our show is that we all contribute in different ways. Like we, I don't think any of us have just one job. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the three of us <laughs> seem to have multiple sure. different jobs. You, you guys have which to is clean fun. the kitchen, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to, you know. Um, but that's an interesting thing, and it may be unique to, if not this show, this sort of show, that everyone does wear you know, several different hats. And it's also you know, the writers, the performers, the producers, the directors working together to tell a story that even though it may start like you say, with you just writing the seven-minute piece or just with the, the main idea for a field piece. Um, I'm curious to hear about, like, again, you're on this very tight schedule, and never mind the outside forces, but you still got to put a show up in a week. So what are the challenges, and what are the things that we may think are challenges but are not? I don't know what people think are challenging. I, I know that... I it mean, all sounds challenging to me. Yeah, just, you know, on, on the field side, oftentimes the stuff that you go to shoot is you come back with something that's completely different, and then you, you're you sitting there in the edit suite just mm-hmm. trying, you know, and, and days are ticking away, and you're putting the stuff together. It's like knitting a sweater, you know? You, you knit it, and it's like, ah, this is not working. You have to unknit the sweater and mm-hmm. then redo it. You know how much footage are you getting on like man? Pick, pick a field piece that the, was the very tough. first show, for example. And that was probably yeah. one of the pieces that I shot the most. Um, was this fake? You know, following Jeb Bush around mm-hmm. New Hampshire, followed him for five days. Probably shot thirty hours of footage yeah. for a six-minute piece. Uh, and then it's sitting there trying to find the story yeah. in edit. I mean, some of it jumps out, and you're like, "This is." Right. You know when you have moments. You know imagine. when you have moments. Yeah. Um, so, how did it finally come together? Um, yeah, just a lot of selects. Because it had to get on the air. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I mean, it was four matter. o'clock. And, and honestly, like there is times that you know, just so people out there know that our, we know we we do live to tape at you know five thirty six o'clock. We're on the air at ten thirty, and sometimes we're doing a, a voiceover in our booth at four thirty. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. that it's that tight, and and that's the way you know our showrunner Joe and and Sam like there you can't expect changes up into the last minute, and that's just the way it goes. And just in terms of our our show, I have to say like objectively looking at Ashley and the writers, when something happens, you know, in the news, mm-hmm. which will happen sometimes at the last minute. Like I remember sitting in a bar, <laughs> and then the whole Comey thing came up, and I was like. Oh shit! Because <laughs> yeah. okay. I knew this meant yeah. that, the, that uh, the, you know Act One would have to be rewritten. Yeah, and because and that's what's happening right now. And I, I sometimes wonder with you guys if you're like looking at your phone, going just just maybe <laughs> want to watch some HGTV tonight. Well, that night yeah, in particular, I was like in the process of packing up my bag, but you just you, know, you have a feeling, and I was like doing it slowly. So I was like, "There's it can't be this easy. There's no way I'm going to go home at seven o'clock. This never happens," you know. <laughs> And then the news broke, and Joe was off compiling the script, and then everyone's, who's going to tell Joe? Oh. <laughs> who's going to tell Joe that script she's been lovingly working on all day is now oh, irrelevant? Um, yeah, so what happened? So I imagine it's just all hands on deck all of a sudden. Yeah, so there is like that judgment call. Sometimes things like that have happened, and we've gone with the piece we were mm-hmm. already working on. Um, sometimes we scrapped it and written a whole new one. That time we did both, because the piece we had worked on was great, and we still wanted to show it. But it is like you're kind of waiting for Joe to make that choice, and then everyone just sits down and 
starts going. And this is where I imagine an improv background serves you very well. Yeah, and then at that point, too, you know, obviously if you have four hours to write something as opposed to two days, you're not going to write that gorgeous seven-minute thing. You're just going to write your best jokes. Yeah. And that's what, when we have, like, super fast stuff, I'm like, okay, jokes, just set up, punchline, hard jokes, and then, you know, we're going to compile it from there. Yeah. And do you... Have, you know, having worked on both those types of, of uh, worked in both those types of situations, do you see a difference in the quality of the piece of the you know monologue piece? Um, not really quality in terms of like uh, better or worse, but quality yeah. in terms of different. Like mm-hmm. more topical pieces are more jokey. Because we're not explaining to you the news. You know the news. You read it before you came to the show. Sure. You turn on your TV hoping we would be talking about that thing. Whereas our, our longer form pieces that are not topical, we're explaining information, which is just, it's a little bit harder to make that funny. So it's a different kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I like is that we get to do both because it really is using different parts of your brain. Like just that joke writing mechanism is fun, but also figuring out that math and puzzle of like, I'm going to make Catholic healthcare funny, you know, is also a really <laughs> fun and different way. We're laughing already. Yeah. <laughs> We're sold. We have to say Catholic healthcare and we start laughing. Um, was it easy for you to find... Or maybe there is no difference. You tell me. Uh, jokes that are in your voice versus jokes that are in Sam's voice? Oh, yeah, surprisingly easy. Um, when I wrote my packet mm-hmm. to apply for the show, I had like three days to write it. And so I just started by like watching everything she'd ever done. I read her book. I like legit like listened to her voice as I was sleeping. Mm-hmm. So you have like such short amount of time. To that's, start writing that's all someone's great voice. advice, though, for people putting together these packets for a show of, for someone who is out there. The material's available. Yeah, like, it's out there. You can do your homework. And then write your script and then read it doing your impression of that person. <laughs> like, it, you do have to. I had a lot of practice coming from Second City because you mm-hmm. would write sketches for the cast. So, like, mm-hmm. my friend Ted. I can write Ted like nobody's business. You know what I mean? So it was like turning Sam into one of those people for me that I could write for. But I do think that our points of view are similar enough that it was an easy transition for me to writing for her. Um, and I think, like, when I write for myself on the show, even though the point of view is very similar, you can absolutely read that line and know <laughs> who was supposed to. I mean, I have That's written me. back and forth for me and Sam, and if you erase the lines, <laughs> you know who each line is for. Yeah. Well, that's... that's- a sign of quality writing. That's yeah. really impressive. I'm the one who gets to say the N word <laughs> <laughs> on camera. <laughs> I don't know how she is. On camera. <laughs> um, a, a, a similar question for you guys. You know, again, you've worked with Sam for a long time. You've known her for a long time, uh, and Mike worked with her for a long time. Um, but doing these field pieces. These have to represent both you and the show, I would imagine. Yeah, so it's funny. I was thinking, as you were talking about this, I was just pointing to Ashley at that moment. <laughs> um, like, usually when I'm in a field piece, I'm producing and writing that, that field piece. But then I'll also produce pieces that have, you know, mm-hmm. like Sam in them, or like the piece that, that we did. So yeah. I have to. You just pointed out Alana. I just I pointed to Alana <laughs> at that point. Um, I can't remember your name. Right, the, the blonde woman. Um, <laughs> The, so, yeah, sometimes I will write in a way that's very much in my voice, and then I'll catch myself writing that way for Sam. Like, eh, that's not a – Sam is not going to say that. Hmm. You know, she'll never what, say that. What is something like that? Like, I, I know it's hard to put your finger on when you're not there well, I mean, in like, it, Sam but. won't say the word fart 
ever. She'll yeah, never she's say the like, word Sam. Right. She'll go for a poop joke before a fart joke. Yeah, she's not into farts. So that what that says to me is that she farts a lot. Are you <laughs> in listening, her real life. Emmy voters? <laughs> Very human. Yeah, she doesn't really yeah. like. She doesn't really go for toilet humor as much as. Mm-hmm. The rest of like us. Like, I would. Like, I love it. Like, we, we each have but our distinct Sam yeah. loves a really filthy joke. Oh, for sure she does. She will, like, Sam yeah. will laugh helplessly for, like, five minutes straight for a really filthy uh, joke. There's a really disgusting yeah. joke that I wrote that, like, weeks later, Sam is still like, at the correspondence dinner, I wrote, um, it was this alternate reality where mm-hmm. Bill O'Reilly had disappeared, and I wrote Sam being like, Bill O'Reilly is fine. He called me. He sounded like he was mixing custard while walking up the, the stairs. stairs. <laughs> but it's fine. He was really relaxed afterwards. And she, like, for days, just like, I can't believe you wrote that. It's hysterical. Yeah. We had it's a, horrifying. We had a joke about someone, like a Kucinich supporter, having a tattoo of Kucinich on, on their stomach. Oh, yeah. And it said, feel the cooch. <laughs> <laughs> and that, for some reason, just got Sam. <laughs> we have so many jokes, though, that like, especially in the field department, where we just kill ourselves laughing. That of yeah. course just don't make it to mm-hmm. air. Oh, I feel yeah. like we just need a like an, I don't know, an RIP board or something, <laughs> or some sort of board that these, we can. These jokes didn't make these, it. just for it's like in the middle of the content. day that we can kind of like you're having a hard day. You can just walk in and oh, remember you know, that one. Yeah, oh. but we were also talking about this before about just with the news changing so much of just like we should do like a compilation of lost. Pieces. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we, uh, yeah. I mean, what happens? Those pieces just are gone forever. Some. I think that happens more for stuff that's just written for field pieces. Mm-hmm. We've tried to. We had a show the day after the election. We had a whole which, show. How did that work out again? How? Who won that? So we. <laughs> it did not work out exactly as we all thought. Uh, so there was a lot of scrambling. Yeah. For yeah. we had a field piece that was ready to go that had a certain take. We had a cold open. Right, that you did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was, you got, I mean, everything had to change. Everything had to right. change. And the, although we were all devastated, we were also devastated because we're like, oh, it's not even like we could kind of go, oh, it's really upsetting. I'm just going to like be with this for a second. There was no time because it was just hit the ground running. Yeah. We need to change everything, but still have a little element of hope. And then we were kind of, you know, also waiting to hear from Joe and Sam in terms of like tonally, what are we doing? Yeah. How do we feel? Do you guys remember what the, that conversation was like? Sad. Sure. Everyone was so sad. <laughs> Devastated. I Absolutely. The moment that, that that show started to click was like Sam said um, she had been on Law and & Order and then Law and & Order got canceled. And then there was something else. Sure. Um, that she ruined Playboy. And then, Playboy. She didn't. She was she an did. article, and then all of a sudden they didn't show boobs anymore. And then she voted, <laughs> and Donald Trump became president. And and so she said that, not even like jokingly, like very sadly, like oh, I ruin everything. Sure. And that sort of that was where the headlines started to, to take end, shape. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, it does, and it did feel like after the election, I think a lot of people were looking to you guys, because you were on was it the next day? Yeah. Yes, we were on the yeah. next day. I mean, people were looking you know, we liberal people were looking to yeah. this show for some something, right? And I don't know that we were looking for hope, but that you provided it was terrific, but yeah. that must have been so hard to get to. It was, you know, it was really driving for me anyway when I was on my way to work on the subway in New York people were openly weeping mm-hmm. people were crying they, people, it was just like a big dark cloud 
and it was sort of, to be honest with you, at least I felt like I had purpose for the day, you know, like I knew I had something that I had to get done that day. And, you know, I had a job. If I didn't have, I don't know about you guys, if you felt that way, like having had something to do. (laughs) On my way to work that day, there was a guy in the elevator wearing a Make America Great Again hat. And that was the first time I'd seen one just like in the wild. Mm -hmm. Um, And he and I got on the elevator together and he looked at me. (laughs) (laughs) Not at, I mean, obviously we go to the inauguration and, you know, Um, he looked at me and he immediately was like so sheepish and so ashamed. And I just like, gave him like my fiercest like I'm not gonna let this go you cannot have this space sir I'm sure it was the last time he wore the hat because he was oh no there are black people in the world I forgot did you win the staring contest yes of course you did so I went into that day (laughs) I went into that day like oh they think they're gonna get to take over now Hmm. and no we're not gonna just like lay down and let this happen yeah definitely put a fire in our belly I had that guy wheeling through our neighborhood that morning (gasps) He was like this dude in some plumbing truck driving through and like slowing down and like being like payback time, payback time. And this Holy is this shit. like this neighborhood is heavily Muslim and everything. It's Brooklyn. And uh, and I was like, you can I say motherfucker? Can I say motherfucker? Mm-hmm. I, that motherfucker? I think this calls for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was chilling. It was chilling. Yeah. How, so how do you guys look have, having something to do, having that fire that gets you to work, right? That gets you there. But then making jokes and again offering some hope how do you have that conversation i think it's the one thing that we're good at this is what we do like Mm -hmm. even in the you know i'm i just came from i was in ireland this weekend and my uncle threw himself a living wake and you wouldn't believe the jokes like there was jokes all weekend jokes 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 like i feel like in any every situation that you know i've been in i'm sure you guys have been in too where we can't help ourselves but to Right. It's if you, cathartic. If you yeah. work in comedy, sort of by definition, you're someone who's used to taking pain and turning it into yeah, funny stuff. it's like you had a thing that was wrong with you. Right. Like, human beings are supposed to, like, process their grief, and and instead of doing that, you make jokes, and that's the thing that's wrong with you, but you found someone to pay you. To do that. To do that <laughs> right. thing. Your maladaptive behavior. Yes. It's it, it becomes your paycheck. Yeah. Um, so it's, whenever people ask, like, how do you make a joke out of it, it's like, that's the only thing I know how to do. Like, yeah. every breakup I've had has been hilarious. It's just how I do it. Have you ever tried to comfort someone where you think that it's a time for humor and it's not? It never is. (laughs) And I know that I can't not do it. We do that all the time. (laughs) You're the master So I'll just like make chicken or something. Like I know I'm going to say the wrong thing. So here's some chicken. Mouth closed. (laughs) Here's some chicken, but I got about 15 (laughs) really good jokes. See, uh, I feel like I need to learn to do that because if someone comes to me and they're really upset about something uh, and they're crying, I'll start crying. Like, it would probably be better for for me to learn to make a joke in that minute. Maybe you're not as damaged as I am. Yeah, that's not what my therapist <laughs> well, You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, there's also something, and I think, again, a reason so many of us have turned to this show, to John Oliver, to a, a number of the shows like this, though certainly you guys are keeping this fire alive, is the anger that we all feel and the frustration that we all feel and putting that to comedy, but also like there's a real sort of helpful bent to all this. I mean, there's a call to action in this show. I feel like, I think like maintaining anger is something that's like really important to me. Um, do you know, there's like a stereotype of like the angry black woman. And I had like a really amazing therapist tell me, she's like, the reason that stereotype works is because anger is the emotion that gets you to fix something hmm. that like, and someone treats you poorly and you feel angry that's what gets you to like 
confront them or leave them or whatever it is you need to do to make yourself safe. So by telling a whole group of people you're not allowed to be angry stops them from like taking care of themselves. And so for me in my life, like owning anger and watching women own anger is like such a big deal. And it's great that we have this show where we can watch a woman be angry. And if you don't like seeing women be angry, fuck you. (laughs) You know, turn the channel. Yeah, yeah. She's pretty smart, though. She doesn't. She doesn't walk around all week being angry. She really. The great thing about um, that, and this is why I always encourage people to come see our show live Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, it's really fun in between acts, and she loves chit chatting with people. But she really takes all that stuff she's feeling. Like, and this is where it's key that she's a performer. She's Mm -hmm. not just somebody who has come into this. She's interested in the news. She's a true performer. So she uses all of that energy and she puts it into Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And, and it comes across. I mean, there's a real empathy to the show, too. And that has felt built in from the beginning as well. And I imagine that comes from her and the kind of people who get hired on this show. Yeah, and just, I think, emotion in general. I feel like mm-hmm. the the thing of late night was like a dude sitting dispassionately behind a desk. Just like, huh, isn't it funny that this thing happened? Right. And it's really refreshing to see someone just, like, have yeah. feelings about it. It's not just snark. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um a couple of things before we wrap up. I'm curious to hear from you guys about uh, pieces that you've been a part of that you felt were very successful. Things that were, what wound up on screen was exactly what you imagined from the beginning. I know it's interesting because when you guys were talking about like finding the story in the edit, I don't edit. I'm not a producer. So I go in, I think, with like much more of a plan because I know I'm not going to be there at the end to make sure it was what I wanted to be. So I feel like I like Mr. Robot. I feel like all of my pieces were exactly what I wanted them to be by the end cuz I was like this is what it is. I I don't I don't have I don't get to find yeah. the story. You had to sort of edit proof it, right? Yeah, cuz someone else is going to find and all of our editors are amazing and it's yeah. great, but just knowing that like I don't get to find the story later, I have right. to find it at the beginning. If you want your vision to come across, it has to be that planned. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. I think as a, I'm trying to think of which, which you know, as a piece as a correspondent, but I would say that the, one of the pieces that's the, what I thought of when you just asked the question was, I would say the cold open for the, the Not the White House Correspondents mm-hmm. Dinner with Alice and Janney. Um, and I think that's why so that, right. yeah, and I, I got to direct that and direct her, which was, you know, mm-hmm. she was incredible. But it, well, the thing that, why that all fell into place as well is that she walked in there and I knew she wanted to say all this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like she was so... It, she's not just a performer. She, you know, she. Yeah. It wasn't just about that. It was a visceral thing for her, and she was like, it was very cathartic. And it, you know, as in watching this, as in seeing, um, you know, what she does for a living, you're like, okay, there's, you know, there's a master. And seeing, you know, having that all come together and having a, a really clear vision for that, like even the comedians roast, which which I did for the show too. All these comedians came in and it was, they were all, they just wanted to get out all these jokes Mm. because what they do as performers is not necessarily, you know, about politics. So, but this gave them the opportunity. Um, So, yeah, I would say from from beginning to end, those were really great because, you know, and that you never know what's going to happen when you have other people show up, right? You don't know what they're going to bring, but when people bring their A game, 
it's it's so amazing. And as as a correspondent, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of like a piece that started a certain way, ended a certain way, um, because our field producers are excellent at knowing what their narrative is mm-hmm. and knowing what their ideal perfect through line is. And but then also when when you know our field producers are shooting something, like if, you know they're like, oh, I wasn't. Gonna, I, that's kind of a little magical moment. And like, oh, that's mm-hmm. not perfect for the narrative that I had in my head, but I got to work that moment in somehow. And I think that that's pretty exciting for, you know, in the edit. <clears throat> yeah. For, I think the pieces that I've um, been the proudest of in many ways have been the sort of doc style pieces. So like this piece following Jeb Bush, right. You know, pitch this idea of let's find two delegates, you know, one who's like a Bernie supporter and one who's a, a never Trumper and, and follow them and, and compare and contrast them. And those have been really interesting to do. And, um, yeah, I was really, I was happy with those. Uh, let me ask you, I told you we would mention the book one more time. Oh, yes, <coughs> my, my books. That's so funny. Uh, tell me the title of the new one again. The, the new one is called Emily and the Spellstone. Okay. Um, and it's out in June. Um, yes. I can't wait to be in the film version. <laughs> right, Ashley? Right. Well, you're casting it's us now, right? right before right? my birthday, so I'm oh. expecting oh, yes. Do you want to plug books. your birthday? Wait a minute. Yeah. My birthday is June 15th. Oh, my, my <laughs> an- wedding anniversary is June 14th. So I don't know it's what that all, means, but it's, it's all, all in order. We're all getting We're going to make our stuff. <laughs> your book is going to be about us. Yeah. What I really want to ask, and I will ask this of, of you guys as well, is you did you wrote these books concurrent with having this job and the jobs previous to it. Yeah, but often I would have sort of gaps between okay. where I could like accelerate and do a bunch of mm-hmm. like write. It, it, when I'm writing, I tend to try to average like a page a day. What? How? How many words is a page for you? <laughs> I, w- I go I with. Can't wait I to go read with three hundred and thirty words. That's so reasonable. Right. That's yeah. great. Three, yeah, All because right. that, like if, if you're like double spaced and yeah. you're so so I, I usually go for a page a day. If I can crank out five pages, great. Mm-hmm. This, Emily and the Spellstone, I wrote, I had a brief period of time and I wrote it in like three weeks. And I wow. never write that fast. I yeah. never write, but I was writing like 25 pages a day. It That's just kind amazing. of like sprung. And out. was it during a break from the show? It was, it was actually right before the show started. Oh, okay. And I was like, I had to, I had to finish yeah. this thing. So, uh, yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, I, I threatened you guys with asking <laughs> what you are watching on television. Uh, what, do you have time to watch television? Well, we just had a week off, so I did watch. You caught up on If you had things? asked me this a week ago, I wouldn't. Okay. What did you catch up on? Um, and what did you really like? What do you want to recommend to people? I, I mean, everyone has seen Master of None. It's great. Um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I literally had, like, a whole day planned, including, like, my writing I needed to do. And then I saw that it was out, and I watched it all day. <laughs> At one point, had to pause because I was laughing so hard I f- could not get air, and I was like going to pass wow. out. That's great. Um, it's really, it's really. Wait, are you watching this for the first time? Or well, this is season three. Oh, this is season three. Oh, I thought you were just starting to. Uh, Have you guys heard of this Tina Fey? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so you. it's absolutely hysterical. What are you watching? Um, well, it's funny because when you asked us that question before we turned the mics on, I'm like. I need to do more things for myself, like in general, <laughs> like just general. Sure. Um, but, you know, same ideas that as soon as we, you know, I, I've been on airplane. So um, I really got into Master of None in Atlanta, which I love mm-hmm. both of those. Yeah, I watched right. it on the plane. Like so really great. Good. Like just little moments, you know, of magic in, in that show where, I mean, you wouldn't even think they're laugh out loud. They're just, it's just hysterical. Um, and then also very like... <laughs> 
moving and deep. Um, But then, yeah, I think that those, but to be honest with you, you know, like, okay, I'm just going to be really honest. I like watching HGTV. (laughs) I feel like, you know, that's been my, um, beyond watching like, you know, scripted and and Mm. those sorts of shows, I'm like, okay, it's Tuesday night. We've got a show tomorrow. I'm super burnt out. I just want to watch someone who wants to live in a stupid tiny house. <laughs> and then the whole time I'm like, why would you want to live there? <laughs> so my, husband, my husband's convinced that I just want to yell at the television. Sure. sure. So that's, you know. You can transition to Fox so News So that's my, my, my dirty little secret is yelling but at people th- who This is not houses. a dirty secret. This comes up more often than you would think. I mean, and I think it's because TV production is so hard. Like you're, it's long hours. It's long weeks, and when people have a down minute, they don't want to invest in, you know, some heavy yeah. thing. They also, want to watch something disposable. we just, like, watch sad stuff all day. Like, people keep, you have to watch Handmaid's Tale. I'm like, no, I don't. Yeah. I'm living it. Yeah, I'm I here. Know. I'm going to watch reruns of Parks and Rec. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. makes me happy. Absolutely. 100%. I have, like, a huge amount of guilt about books I haven't read, about mm-hmm. shows and series I haven't watched. Like, I... But I'm gonna. I really liked like uh, Unbreakable, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm looking forward to watching, sitting down and watching the third season of that. Um, I think that if someone seriously logged my TV viewing habits, um, it. I'm so embarrassed about this. <laughs> I tend to watch a lot of. It's either like American Ninja Warrior, sure, or I honestly I end up watching a lot of MMA late at night. Really? Yes, I know it's weird. I get it. <laughs> One of the reasons that my wife and I work well together is that we would sit down, we would watch So You Think You Could Dance, and then go right into uh, uh, the uh, Ultimate Fighter. We would watch wow, your confession is so much more embarrassing yeah. than mine. Yeah, no, Definitely. it is. I love it's, So You Think You Could Dance. Oh, it's a great show. So also, we have a ten year old daughter now who doesn't go to bed until really late, so we can't really watch it. So like, she goes to bed and all. It, right, you can't again. Yeah, now she really likes MMA too, so she'll be like, "It's terrible." I'm a bad, I'm a bad father. I'm a bad person. Yeah. Well, that's why we brought you here. Yeah, let's go. Thanks Perfect. for being here. Wow. Uh, thank you all for being here. This is terrific. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 